When I first entered into the ministry, I pastored 20 teenagers in a church of about 200. And uh, we spent seven years there at that church in rural Missouri. It was a, it was a town of 9,000 people. And, and so small town, pretty good-sized church in a small town, and decent-sized youth group. And we worked hard over those seven years. And over those seven years, we saw the church more than double in size to grow to be about 500. We saw the youth group grow from 20 kids to about 200 kids. It was, it was awesome. It, it was a lot of hard work, but it was very fruitful. And there were definite wins to celebrate during that time. A couple of those wins are sitting here in this room with us today. Matt Lee, Tyler White are both products of, of our ministry. Yeah, it's awesome. Products of our ministry, of our time in, in, in Chillicothe, Missouri. And, uh, and I love, absolutely love that you're not here just visiting with us today. You're here, you're part of this church. You're involved in, in ministry. Tyler found his bride here, you know, at Seeds Church. It's awesome. The definite wins to celebrate. But one of our strategies during that period of our ministry was, let, let's just do whatever we can to get people in the door. Let's fill the seats. What can we do to fill the seats up? What, what, how much attention can we draw so that we can pack as many people as we can into the room and hopefully they'll make decisions to follow Jesus? And that strategy did work on some level. It did work out on, on some level. We did learn how to draw crowds and some people did learn to make that decision to follow Jesus. And after seven years at that church, we moved from there and we went to this church in Loveland, Colorado. And my natural tendency was telling me, hey, just do everything that you did at the other church and you'll get the same results. But something on the inside of me was at unrest about that. There was like a spiritual dissatisfaction. There was a spiritual unrest about just saying, hey, I'm going to call the same plays and we'll get the same results. We'll get the same wins. That just didn't seem to sit right with me. I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to lead in a different way, but I didn't really know how to articulate it. I didn't really know how to put it in words. And I was honestly just kind of, in this first few months, the first few weeks, first couple of months in Colorado, just kind of waiting on Holy Spirit. And we hadn't been there for probably a couple of weeks, and a friend of mine down in Colorado Springs, who is serving at a, at a church down there and leading a, a big movement of, of students and college students and a pr big prayer movement, he says, hey, I want you to come down for a couple of days. I'm hosting a prayer summit, and I've invited about a dozen or so different youth pastors from across the nation to come here, and let's just have this summit, and let's talk, and let's pray about ministry. I said, hey, that sounds great. So I went down there, and for two days, we talked about you know, our successes. We talked about our wins. We talked about our achievements and accomplishments and ministry. You know, a lot of attaboys patting each other on the back. But we also talked about our shortcomings. We talked about this holy dissatisfaction, this holy unrest that was kind of stirring in all of us. And we began to pray and we began to lean into that. And we decided we need to start redefining the wins in ministry. You know, we, we had all these things, all these like things that we set up and say, well, Man, isn't that awesome? Look at, look at that. Look at what we did. That's a win. But we, we decided we need to redefine the win. And so instead of the win being, let's see how many people we can pack into one room, instead of the win being, you know, how many big events can we do, 
Instead of the win being, look at all the new cool tools that we get to use to do ministry with. What kind of things can we accumulate? What kind of cool videos and lights and you know, different things that we can use as tools? Instead of that being a win, instead of going, oh, hey, let's build a new building or let's remodel this building. or let's Instead of those being the wins, we decided to redefine the win. And we came up with one kind of purpose statement. And it was this. That our purpose, our goal, our function is to simply raise a generation to have a fiery passion in their heart for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Our passion, our purpose, our goal, our function was to just simply raise a generation to live with a fiery passion in their heart for Jesus and his kingdom. You might be sitting there going, well, J.D., duh, right? Shouldn't that be, shouldn't that be what you've been doing the entire time? Yeah, it should have been. And to some degree we were. To some degree we were seeing some of that. But we weren't satisfied with just a few. We wanted the many. And so we, we had this new purpose statement. The thing is, is that you can always tell what people really value, not by what they say, but by what they do. And the thing that we were doing, the methods that we were using, were not getting the kind of results that we really wanted. We weren't really raising up a generation in the masses that we wanted you know, uh, during that season of my life, one of, a church leader came to me and he was talking to me about ministry. And he said, you know, um, on some level, it's just good enough if we are leading people to be good citizens. Just to be good citizens. And that doesn't set with me. That's not why I'm doing this. That's not why I've given my life to the ministry. It's so that you can just be more involved in your kid's school and that when you walk down the street that you pick up trash on the sidewalk and so that you don't text and drive and don't speed and pay your taxes and vote. That's not why, I mean, all those things are great, but that's not why I do what I do. That's not why I've devoted myself to the ministry. I've devoted myself to the ministry not so that you can just be a good citizen of this state or be a good citizen of this nation, but so you can be a good citizen of heaven. God wants to bring heaven to earth. And the way that he does that are, are through believers who live with a fiery passion in their heart for Jesus and his kingdom. I, I, I don't want to settle for a nominal life. I don't want to settle for a weak and powerless life. I don't want to settle for an untransformed life. God brings the kingdom to earth through believers who are not untransformed, but they are but they are new creations. God brings the kingdom of heaven to earth, not through believers who are living nominal lives, but they're living significant lives because they're inviting the work of the Holy Spirit to move in them and through them. God wants to bring heaven to earth through Christians, through believers that are not weak and powerless, but they're strong and powerful because they know who they are in Christ. God's not calling Seeds Church. God's not calling the church at large to be static, but to be dynamic. So how do we do that? How do we become a dynamic church? How do we become a dynamic church? How do we become a people that live day in and day out with a fiery passion in our hearts for Jesus and his kingdom? 
What would impress Jesus? What would make Jesus smile? What would please Jesus about his church? Obviously, we live in in this part of the world where there's lots of different kinds of churches. Lots of different sizes of churches. There's mega churches and there's micro churches. There's churches that meet in great big facilities and buildings and they have multiple campuses everywhere. And there's churches that meet in living rooms. There's large churches, small churches, and everything in between. But is the size of a church, is that what makes a church dynamic? I'm not so sure that it is. Today we hear a lot about cultural relevance. You know, we need to be relevant to our culture in order to present the gospel to them. And I think there's some, some validity in that. I think, you know, there, there's no reason for us to be unnecessarily uncool if we don't have to be, you know. <laughs> you know, I was going to say some things that's probably going to offend people, so I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> there's no reason to unnecessarily offend people when you don't really have to. So, But, you know... I'm not so sure, like if you were to sit down with Jesus at Starbucks and have a couple of vanilla lattes, a couple for me and a couple for Jesus, if you were to say, Jesus, what makes your church to be dynamic? I don't think he would necessarily say, well, I want my church to be culturally relevant. You know, I know some people that I look at their life and they're very culturally relevant, but I'm not very impressed with their kingdom relevance. And vice versa is true. You know, those people that, that they are very culturally relevant and they don't have very much kingdom relevance, in my opinion, if I said their name, a lot of you would know who they are. They're, they're known around the world. But I know some other people. I know a 69-year-old grandmother that lives outside of Atlanta, Georgia, who mentors ministry leaders around the world. She's got a lot of kingdom relevance. I'm impressed by that. I'm impressed by that. And if I said her name, there might be only two or three of you in here that know who she is. I think of another guy, 74-year-old guy, but because of he was obedient to Jesus and because he started a ministry called Every Home for Christ, he is responsible for 139 million people coming to know the Lord. He's not the most culturally relevant person that I know. He's not the coolest cat on the block. But he's kingdom relevant. I, you know, I don't, again, I don't, cultural relevance without compromise is okay. That's not a bad thing. But I'm not so sure that it's the thing that makes the church to be dynamic. You know that some worship leader out there today is trying to sing Drake. Jesus, I know you love me. I know you're saving. You know, try, what? Because I want you and I need you. Some of y'all are laughing, but some of y'all are offended. You're going to leave the church now. (laughs) What about being a busy church? What about a church that's just doing a lot of things all the time and we're busy? We got lots of programs and we got lots of opportunities for people to come and, and to attend and lots of opportunities to come and be involved. Is that something that's uniquely dynamic and powerful about the church? I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as those things are, are advancing the kingdom, as long as those things are making disciples. But I'm not so sure that's the one thing, a busy church. I'm not sure if busyness is the thing that makes us to be dynamic. If you look throughout the New Testament... We see, what we see fueling 
the church to be dynamic, to be the living expression of Christ on the earth today is not the size of a church. It's not the cultural relevance of a church. It's not the busyness of a church. More than any of these things, the thing that makes a church dynamic is prayer. A praying church is a dynamic church. I believe that it's a praying church that makes Jesus smile. Because when a praying church, it's just the very nature of prayer. It says, God, we're dependent upon you and you alone. A praying church says, God, we might be huge. We might be big. God, we might be small, but it's not about us. God, we might be incredibly cool, or God, we may be incredibly uncool. God, we might be really busy, or God, we are looking for things to do, but it's not about us, God. It's about you. It's about you. That's a dynamic church. Ian Bounds said this. He says, prayer is the greatest of all forces because it it honors God and brings him into active aid. Oswald Chambers says this. He says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. John Wesley said that prayer is where the action is. I hope that comes alive in your heart today. Picture yourself standing just inside the entryway of your house, of your apartment, wherever you live. And you're looking at your front door. And just on the other side of that front door, God has all these amazing things he has planned for your life. All these amazing things that he has has destined for you, that he has planned for you. He has in store things with your name on it. Just on the other side of that door. How does that door open? What does every single door need in order for it to open? It needs hinges. And I'm telling you that prayer is the hinge upon which the door of the kingdom of God swings. Prayer is the hinge upon which the door of the kingdom of God swings. You need healing for your body? Guess where it's first manifested? It's first manifested in the place of prayer. You need restoration with that family member? You need restoration with that friend? It's first restored in the place of prayer. You need finances for, for certain, certain things that are coming up? Guess where that provision is first made? It's first found in the place of prayer. You need peace? You need wisdom for a situation? It's first revealed to you in the place of prayer. Prayer is the hinge upon which the door of the kingdom of God swings. Remember when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple? He did it a couple different times, but in each time he said this one thing. He quoted the prophet Isaiah and he quoted the prophet Jeremiah. And in Matthew 21, he said, my temple shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus, when he said this, he wasn't talking about a church building. He wasn't talking about brick and mortar or stone. He was talking about you and me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul said that we are living temples. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus said, my temple shall be called a house of prayer, he's talking about you. He's talking about me. We're the house of prayer that Jesus was talking about. So when I imagine Jesus thinking about what makes his church dynamic, powerful, and effective. The key element that makes all the other parts work is prayer. Prayer is the fuel that feeds the passion for that fiery desire in your heart for Jesus and his kingdom. And if we want the people around us 
our friends and family and our coworkers in this in our community that is lost and are they're not yet part of the family of God. If we want them to catch the fire, then the fire first has to be burning hot within us. It would be pretty cool if years and years from now, if somebody would write a book about us. They would write a book about Siege Church, about our passion for Jesus, and how our passion for Jesus motivated us to change the world around us. But we don't have that yet. No one's writing books about us yet. But what we do have are accounts of the early church and what God did through the early church. And so let's do this. The early, the early church is this. The early church are the believers that, were, that remained after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. And so that's how the early church began, with those Jesus followers, with those disciples, began with them. So let's do this for a second. Let's roll the clock back about 2,000 years, and let's look to see what made the early church dynamic and powerful. After Jesus' resurrection, he spent a good deal of time here on the earth, 40 days as a matter of fact. And uh, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is prophesying to his disciples. He's giving them marching orders. And, and then, boom, all of a sudden, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> Jesus ascends to heaven right there in front of them. And the disciples are just kind of left undone. They're like, what just happened? Their jaws are just kind of dropped to the floor. And all of a sudden, two men dressed in white, who just appear out of nowhere. Who could that be? Maybe angels. They say to the disciples, why are you just standing here staring up to heaven? The disciples come to their senses. They remember what Jesus instructed them to do. They walk back into the city of Jerusalem, and they start gathering for prayer. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, All with one mind, they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Continually devoting themselves to prayer. And guess what? We know the rest of the story, what happens in Acts chapter 2. They've devoted themselves to prayer, right? The day of Pentecost comes, 50 days after Passover. The Holy Spirit descends upon them and baptizes them in fire. The church is born. The church is born. And you know what? The Holy Spirit came down and baptized them in fire, not so they could just get all the goosebumps in the fields and run around the room. But what happens next? Peter gets up in front of a crowd, a huge crowd of people, and without a microphone... Without a huge video screen, without live streaming on Facebook Live, he just raises his voice, he preaches about Jesus, and 3,000 people make the decision to become disciples that day. That's amazing. That's amazing. Let me ask you, what happened leading up to that moment? There were a group of believers that were gathered continually giving themselves, boldly coming before the throne of God in the place of prayer. Let's read a few more passages here real quickly through the book of Acts. And I tell you what, anytime we come up to the word pray, prayer, prayed, praying, I want you to say it out loud with me, okay? All right, Um, Acts chapter 4. What's happening here, the church had been experiencing some persecution. Verse 31, and when they had prayed... The place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So when we pray, we can expect God to empower us to speak boldly. In Acts chapter 9, one of the disciples in Joppa named Tabitha, she came down with something. She got really sick and she died. But here in verse 40, it says, But Peter sent them all out of the room and knelt down and 
prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. When we pray, we can expect God to move in signs and wonders and miracles. In Acts chapter 12, Herod had arrested Peter because he wanted to just gain some brownie points with all the other Jews who were upset at Peter. So he just threw him in jail. In verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Well, what happens just two verses later? And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. I'm telling you, when we pray, we can expect God to come and move in our situations that seem impossible and to right the wrongs. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they, uh, they had cast the devil, they had cast a demon out of this slave girl. And this little slave girl's master wasn't very happy about it. So he called the authorities and he had Paul and Silas thrown into jail. And this is what happens in verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened but this story doesn't end with their escape the story ends with the Roman jailer and his entire family deciding to become disciples of Jesus when we pray we can expect people to come to know Jesus If we keep reading through the book of Acts, we see reference after reference after reference of the early church that they made themselves to be a house of prayer. It was prayer that fueled the early church to propel Christianity throughout the earth so so quickly. And if we keep looking at the history of the church over the next 2,000 years, we see that wherever there is a prayer source, there is a power source. Wherever there is a prayer source, there's a power source. Prayer is the birthplace of every good thing that counts for eternity. Prayer is the place where your heart comes into alignment with the heart of God. Prayer is the place where your heart begins to break for the things that God, God's heart breaks for. It begins to burn for the things that God's heart burns for. Prayer is the place, the first place where you come and you're equipped to do kingdom works. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, well, J.D., prayer's not really my thing. It's not in my wheelhouse. It's not my gifting. So I'm just going to leave that up to my spouse. I'll leave the praying up to my, to my spouse. I'll leave the praying up to the, the church leaders. I'll leave the praying up, up to the prayer team because that's not my gifting. Listen, I have looked through this book and I have tried to find where, in, where the gift of prayer is. And I can't find it anywhere. I can't find anywhere in here where, where God gave some the gift of prayer, but not, not everybody. I can't find that term in here, the gift of prayer. But what I can find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is the Apostle Paul saying to the entire church, never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Some of us, if we're really honest, we would just say, hey, I, I don't pray because I just, I just don't know how to pray. Ian Bounds said that prayer is not learned in the classroom, but in the closet. In other words, I can stand up here or we could bring in the best teacher in the entire world on the subject of prayer to come in here and stand up here and teach us until until they're blue in the face, until I'm blue in the face. 
And you're not going to learn how to pray until you just make the resolve in your own heart. I'm going to be a house of prayer. Prayer is learned by praying. You can't screw it up. Just do it. You can't mess it up. Listen, wherever in the world there's dynamic church happening, prayer is at the center. Prayer is the ultimate statement saying, God, it's not about me. It's not about my skill set. It's not about my talents. It's not about all the cool things I've accumulated. It's not about all my accolades. It's not about my past circumstances. It's not about my present circumstances. God, it's just really about you and you alone. God, without you, I am nothing. But God, with everything, with you, I'm everything. That's the nature of prayer. God does not just delight in the prayers of the disciplined, but he delights in the prayers of the desperate. So if you're here today and something's stirring on the inside of you, some of you are just sitting here today and you just want to want to, that's a good place to start. Just ask the Holy Spirit, God, just give me the desire to desire to. (laughs) Give me the want to want to. Won't you stand with me? We're going to be in this series for the next couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking about prayer. And I just want you to lean into this moment right now. Lean into this moment right now and ask the Holy Spirit to stir within you a desire for intercession, to stir within you a conversation, a prayer, to stir within you to taking your thanksgiving, to taking the things that you're thankful for to Him regularly, to stir within you this this resolve to say, God, I've got a need and I'm going to bring it to you because I believe that you hear my prayers and that you're at work. Before Before we pray, before we do anything else, those of you that... I want to be baptized today. I want to invite you now to see my friend Joe over here. You see Joe? He's over here on the side. He's raising his hand. He's got this same t-shirt on that I've got. It says, Raised to Life. I want you to go ahead and be dismissed with him now. If you're here today, you're like, I didn't, I didn't come prepared to be baptized. That's okay. We've got changes of clothes for you. Maybe you did come. Go ahead. Meet Joe. Go ahead. We're going to start getting ready for baptism. But if you're here today, you've got this stirring on the inside of you for prayer. I want you to just do this with me. I just want you to stretch your hands out like this. And we're going to just pray, pray a prayer together. And I just, this is not a prayer that I want you to repeat after me. I'm just going to pray a prayer from my own heart. You can pray a prayer from your own heart. As a matter of fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn my microphone off. It's going to force you in this moment to just face God and just tell Him what you want. So let's just pray right now in your own words, right there where you sit. You can say it out loud. You can whisper it. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that when I come to you in the place of prayer, I don't do it because I'm coming to try to make you happy. God, you're already happy with me. 
God, I come to you in the place of prayer because you are already happy with me. God, I don't come to to earn favor with you. God, I come because I've already got favor with you because of what Jesus has done. And so, Lord, when I come to you in the place of prayer, I come to you with boldness. Not because of what I've done, but because of who Jesus is and what He has done. Lord, I just pray for anybody here today that they might feel like they're far from you. God, I thank you that you can move on their heart. You're drawing their heart. Lord, help them surrender their life to you today. And if that's you today, if you're here and you want to dedicate your life, if you want to, you're deciding now, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you. You can come down here and you can pray with one of the folks here and one of my friends over here on the prayer team. Or you can just walk yourself out and find Joe and get ready for baptism. Because we got a we got the hot water today. I want to encourage you. Lean into this over the next few weeks. Lean, and when I say lean into this over the next few weeks, I don't mean just like pray for the next few weeks, but lean into what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do and stirring up desire on the inside of you to come boldly before His throne with your thanksgivings, with your petitions, with your requests, making them known to Him. The things, sometimes for me, sometimes it's a really easy for me to pray for other people's needs and not pray for my own needs. Some of you might be like that. You're, you have more faith that God would answer someone else's prayer than He would answer your prayer. And I want to tell you right now, God loves you. He sees you. What's going on in your life is important to Him. And He wants to meet you. He wants, to hear, he wants you to know He hears your prayers and He's at work. And sometimes our prayers don't get answered in the way that we conceive that they would. But that doesn't mean that God's not at work. God is at work. Let's lean into this invitation of this conversation that he wants to have with us because we can just come boldly before him. Because as Jesus is, so are we if we are in Christ. Amen? Amen. I want to leave you with this benediction today, and I want to invite you to stay for baptism. I want you to stay for baptism. If you've got kids, pick up your kids. And then just out here on the side lawn, right kind of on the front uh, corner of the theater, right there in the yard, we've got the baptismal set up. I know we've got at least one that we're going to baptize today. If there's anybody else, listen, we don't have anywhere else to go. We don't have anywhere else to be. We'll baptize you. But come and stay and support and rejoice with those who are being baptized today. Can you do that for us? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. I'm going to pray with this over you. Lord God, we rejoice always. Lord God, help us pray without ceasing to never stop praying. God, I pray that we would give thanks in all circumstances. For this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.